with me, please. Lord God, you are a God not only who does great things, you are in your very essence great and perfect. And we just bow before you humbly, Lord, as your servants today. We thank you we get to celebrate Mother's Day. We thank you we get to celebrate babies being dedicated. But most of all, Lord, we thank you that we get to celebrate that you are our Savior and King. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we uh, go ahead and be seated just real quick, uh, baby dedicators. Before we go to the baby dedication, let me just briefly ask you to fill out this uh, connection card. Okay, and especially if you are a first-time guest, we would love to show a token of our appreciation for you being here. Just take this at the end of the service to the lobby, to the connection uh, area, and we'd have we have like I say a token of our appreciation that you were here today. So please fill that out and take that there, and and we appreciate that. Jennifer, are you with us? There you are. Good morning. It is my privilege to introduce the families participating in this morning's parent-child dedication service and to welcome family and friends who have traveled to witness this special event. This time I'd like to ask all the families to stand and move to the front. As each family is introduced, they will be presented with a certificate of dedication and a Bible to serve as a reminder of the covenant that they will be entering into today. The bag that Brother Phillip's giving everyone also includes some family devotional guides and some other information to help them on this parenting journey. Our first family this morning, we have Leighton Joy Coffey, born December 1st, 2021. Her parents are Nolan and Megan Coffey. Next, we have Malachi James Easton, born November 30th, 2021. His parents are Zach and Emily Easton. Next, we have Madeline Paige Hildebrand, born December 15th, 2021. Her parents are Matt and Morgan Hildebrand. Next, we have Charlie Joseph Nogowski, born September 9th, 2021. His parents are Joey and Michaela Nogowski. Next, we have Gentry Ray Phillips, born October 26th, 2021. Her parents are Gabe and Rachel Phillips. Next, we have Slater Haven Rush, born January 1st, 2019, and her brother, Uzi Christian Rush, born November 10th, 2021. Their parents are Ryan and Christy Rush, and they're joined by their big sister, Story. And last, we have Carver Wendell Seaford and Lane Martin Seaford, born August 2nd, 2021. Their parents are Andrew and Madison Seaford.
just want to squeeze all of them, don't you? <laughs> Amen. All right. It's the privilege of the church to encourage and assist parents in the proper training and development of their children. Therefore, it's very appropriate for home and church to unite together in a service of dedication for parents and children. I think the act of dedication is in keeping with the teaching of God's Word. So in this service of dedication, we are first to give thanks to God for the creation and birth of these children. In the second place, we are to make a solemn promise as parents and as a church that relying totally on the grace of God and working together as a home and church, we will all endeavor to provide guidance for these children in instruction, discipline, Lord willing, salvation experience, and growth in the Lord Jesus. And third, we are to pray for God's blessings upon the children in the presence of the Spirit of God, remembering how the Lord Jesus took children and blessed them. We agree with the psalmist. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior, so are the children in one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. Psalm 127, 3 through 5. Psalm 103 says, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to such as keep his covenant, and to those who remember his commandments to do them. So first, I would like to say to the parents, and this is kind of like your wedding vows, right? To say I do. So in presenting your children to the Lord, do you promise independence on God's grace to teach your children the truths of the Christian faith, to set a Christian example before him or her, to bring him or her up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, and to encourage him or her to accept Christ as his Savior or her Savior under the guidance of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. And to the congregation. Do you, as members of this church family, promise to join these parents in teaching and training these children that he or she may be led in due time to trust Christ as Savior and to confess him through baptismal waters and church membership? If you do so, would you stand and indicate that by standing? All right, let's pray. Great God, we bow before you. Lord, you made man in your own image. And Lord God, this is true for all mankind, and thus we, <clears throat> we celebrate that is you, Lord God, that gives life. It is you, Lord God, that opens the womb. And we thank you for these precious children, and we thank you for these parents, and we pray, dear God, that you would help us to join with them in raising another generation of children who are not ashamed to put another flag on the hill for the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray your blessings on them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't think we've officially said it yet, so let me say it. Happy Mother's Day. God bless you moms. And we pray that this little video we've got to share with you will be an encouragement. Only one hero can save her family.
prevent disaster. Mom, we're gonna be late for school. I don't think so. Well. Experience the phenomenon that critics are calling inspiring. Mom, here's my number 17. Come on, Billy. Dig deep. A lot of fun. And pure genius. Mom, where's my phone? Table. Keys. Mudroom. Dragon Man. Under the couch between the monkey and the flip-flop. How does she do that? Created by God to demonstrate his love with grace, elegance, and poise. Torch. <laughs> so if you're a mom, I'm sure you've lived some of those scenarios. Amen. And God bless you for that. Well, so it is Mother's Day, and like like a, a special day, it could be veteran. We could be pre-Veterans Day. We could be pre-Fourth of July. We could be so many different things. We we celebrate, but we've always got to come back to the most important thing, right? And the most important thing is the glory of God and Jesus Christ. And so, how many of you have uh, uh, recently, or maybe for some of you, maybe many years ago, uh, for us it was like last year, the first car that ever had its own. Um, uh, navigation system. Hemi purchased one of those within, you know, whenever. So, you, you know, and so it, now if yours was used like ours, it thinks home is somewhere else. It's not our home. And so, and so I, I tried desperately to program it to make it our home, and it just never would do it. And so, and I'd forgotten about that. And so Cammie and I were on a, on a road trip, you know, back when people could afford road trips. And, 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 and we, we wanted to figure out how to get home, so I just pushed home. And it was going to take us somewhere to around Albany, New York. We didn't want to go there, obviously. And, and so in the same way, unless we continually focus and recalibrate, right, what is center, what is the most important thing? And that's why we're going to start not with a family song, not with a mom song, but we're going to start with a Jesus song, okay? And so sing this with me, if you will, All I Have is Christ. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my
Say that again. Oh, Father, use my ransom life. God's word. Let's read responsively now, please. Therefore, the fear of the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away, well, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll read this and then you answer, okay? Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it's, your, and if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Bow with me, please. Lord God, as we talk about making a commitment to serve you, this is a time of the service where we, we give of our resources. What you've blessed us with, we give back to you. And so, Lord, we ask you to bless this time of giving and uh, may it glorify your name and may it further your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and fill our homes with your presence. You alone are worthy of our reverence. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me
you know that first verse well enough just to bow and sing it. Let's, let's sing it together as we prepare to hear God's word. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. My moments. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Amen. Well, I too join Brother David to say Happy Mother's Day, and certainly glad you are here today. Take your copy of God's Word, and let's look together in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, often called the Hall of Faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 23, the Bible says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Hebrews 11 is about faith fueled obedience. It is about faith in the faith, not faith in faith, but faith in the faithfulness of God. Life within the family of faith is marked by faith and trust in the very promises of God. I'm thankful today that my mom is here because I'm thankful for a faith-enriched environment when I was a child. Much like Amram and depending on what Hebrew scholar you're listening to, Jochebed or Jochebed. Aren't you thankful for godly parents? <clears throat> I can uh, remember the faith-enriched environment when uh, going to church was not an option. Y'all been there, right? I'm so thankful that the Lord put me under the word of God to hear. And uh, I think about my pilgrimage as a child of God that the Lord saved me when I was nine. And then you know how the teenage years go. Y'all been there, right? You are there. Foolishness is born up in the heart of a child and it takes you a while to see with clarity who you belong to. Sometime in between the age of 12 and 15... God began to teach me what salvation I had been given and that he had taken hold of my life. And thus, the rest of my life should be a journey of seeking to take hold of him, meaning Christ, right? And of course, the Lord calls me to preach and right after that, he blessed me with a wife and she was only 18 years old and I was 20. Can't imagine 
people that young today getting married, can you? God help us, right? No, there's nothing wrong with that in the will of God. And thus began a more of a pilgrimage. We had the strange looks from peers in high school and friends to say, why in the world would you want to give your life? You, you could do so much more with it and do so many different things. Why is it that you are committed to seminary and preparing for ministry? Well, there's a reason for that. When Christ gets a hold of you, you can't, he will not let you go, number one. But number two, you are conditioned in your heart to have faith in the faithfulness of God. It happens because of what God does on the inside. Now, my parents could not pass the faith to me like a possession that they just hand to me. Boy, I wish we could. But God has to work in the lives of our children so that they in turn personally trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. An awesome text of scripture, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The New King James Version will say that Christ laid hold of me. And the Greek tense is that Paul is referring to the Damascus Road experience where the Lord actually forcefully took control of him. Set him on a journey to serve the Lord. And Paul's whole life was this journey, a lifelong direction that he was going toward the upward call. Listen to it in verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. Folks, when you are saved, it is a call of God. And when he does that, here's the difference between those who are earthlings that never learn what it means to journey with Christ versus those who think they've got to get out of hell free card and they never live the life. When he lays hold of you, your life will be dedicated to seeking to lay hold of him. That's what your life will be. So, Hebrews 10 is couched in this particular setting. Chapter 10, ver- chapter 11 is, but here's the ramp up to it. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live By faith. Why? Because the king has taken hold of your life. And you will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So when you get to Hebrews 11, don't forget the context. And then lest we forget that we're not always delivered in this earth. Right, We're going for that reward. We're, we're going on that journey with the Lord God. And we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. Down in verse 36. Others, here's what the text said. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Boy, that's awesome, isn't it? But some were tortured. Refusing to accept release. So that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging. 
and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Just think about this. Once you start on that journey, we would pray that as you read the hall of faith, we see these miraculous deliverances and we see, like Moses, being saved basically by the decision of his parents, right? We see all these wonderful things, but don't forget that there were others who lived and gave the ultimate price for the cause of Christ. And the Bible says the world was not worthy of these people. So, well, all of that said, we have a text today that is certainly amazing. It's about a patriarch, Amram, and a matriarch, Jochebed. And they're heroes of the faith. But I don't want you to forget something. Their story, in many ways, is your story. Why? Because the same head of Amram and Jochebed is your head, the Lord God. So don't dismiss this as just... Oh, that was just a story a long time ago with no relevance. Yes, it has relevance for us today. So, when you read chapter 11, you find that faith is the confidence that results in action carried out in a variety of situations by ordinary people. But it's in response to the unseen God and all of his wonderful promises with various earthly outcomes. It can be death. It can be wonderful deliverance with different outcomes. Yet God commends you and the reward is great. That's what the Bible tells us. Abraham and Moses stand head and shoulders above anybody else given in this hall of faith. That's not lost on the writer of Hebrews because he dedicates more time to Abraham and to Moses. If I had time to show you that from the scripture, I would in the Old Testament. But here's what we find here. Moses' entire life was marked by an awareness of the presence and power of the unseen God and a, and a believing obedience to the word of God. So, it is the examples of these people that are overcoming these trials and these challenges by faith that's going to be what God gives to inspire us, right? To continue on. Listen back to it again. When you've done the will of God, you need endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you receive what is promised. We don't shrink back. We, we believe our God and his promises. And we live the Christian life. We hold fast to our confession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We endure just as our forefathers did. So again, isn't it interesting here on Mother's Day that Moses' faith begins with the faith of his parents? It begins with the faith of his parents. And there's a statement about what went on in Moses' life. Well, actually in preparation even to his birth. The writer picks up on something about the faith of Moses' parents. And he's going back to Exodus chapter 1. I'm not going to read it all, okay? But I want to get you in context. Exodus chapter 1. I don't hear a lot of pages turning. I guess you know this one by memory, right? <laughs> Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Let me stop and remind you what's going on here. Genesis ends with a coffin in Egypt. And who's, the cof who's in the coffin? 
Joseph, okay? Just think about Joseph's ministry and how God providentially put him, saw to it that the people of Israel will be taken care of. And at that particular juncture, when Joseph dies, the people of God are in a pretty good position. But after Joseph dies, there comes a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph whatsoever. And so in the meantime, if you read down through, there's going to be incredible multiplication of the Israelite people. And the Pharaoh's like, we've got to do something about this. So he comes up with solutions to take care of it. Let's, let's use taskmasters to make it difficult on them. Let's intensify their enslavement. When you get down to verse 15, it gets more heinous. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shephora, Shifra, and Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if is it a daughter, she shall live. When that didn't work, why? Because women like Shifra and Pua feared God, and they came up with things like this. Man, those Israelite women have those babies so fast that we can't even get there. But what's really going on is that the sovereign God of the universe was protecting those babies at that point. And then you get down to verse 22. When that didn't work, the Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast him into the Nile River. But you shall let every daughter live. And so there's this subtle movement at first to infanticide. And now it's full Blown infanticide. When the boys are born, throw them into the Nile River. The book of Hebrews says that after Moses was born, his parents hid him for three months. We don't know exactly when the edict came about. Think about this with Jochebed. We don't know exactly when she became pregnant with Moses. But we can at least surmise that as Moses was conceived and being born... Baby boys were being cast into the Nile River. Right? This This should horrify you. At some point, we don't know along the lines, but she becomes pregnant. We don't know how long there was an overlap with the conception and delivery. Yet during this time, Jochebed, she does everything she possibly can to conceal the pregnancy and avoid the all-seeing eye of the Egyptian taskmasters. So, what had they determined? When this baby is born, they're not going to give him up. Whenever he's born, he's hidden for three months. Imagine the difficulty of pulling this off. Just think of the story. They did this for three months. But there came a time when they could not hide baby Moses any longer. But by an act of faith, they placed the child in a basket. And it's not dealt with in Hebrews. But I want to remind you, this was truly an act of faith too, wasn't it? To take that, actually the Hebrew word is an ark-type vessel. <laughs> Carried it over with pitch like a basket and places Moses into this basket. What an act of faith. All right, to Hebrews 11. What did they do first? What, what's this act of faith? Well, first they saw that he was a beautiful child. Well, aren't all of our children beautiful? Right? In Exodus chapter 2, 1 through 2, it says that his mother saw that he was a fine or beautiful child. And we're assuming that Amram did the exact same. 
The word that is used here in Hebrews 11 for beautiful is the same word that Stephen used when he's preaching to the people as he's martyred. He talks about Moses being lovely and beautiful in the sight of God. What does this mean? Well, I don't think it means that he was such a remarkably beautiful baby that they decided to keep him, i.e. if he was ugly, they would have destroyed him. No, that's not what's going on at all. As a matter of fact, the word really means pleasing to God or no ordinary child. In other words, folks, this goes back to the promises of God who gives life. It goes back to the giver, right? It goes back to God, and he is pleased with this child. So his parents were people of faith. Because they were people of faith, they feared the Lord. If you're a true person of faith, you fear the Lord. If you're a true person of faith, you fear the Lord. There was an inner conviction when the child was born that the child was a gift of God. We don't know how much they knew about this, but we do know that their conclusion was this child is a gift from God, he's special, he's pleasing to the Lord, and we will not give him up. If you recall, Samuel parades all the sons before the king so that they can figure out or to be the king. And Samuel was putting all the best-looking, biggest dudes up there. And what does the Lord say? Not at all pleased about an outward appearance. The Lord wants to know what's in the heart. So he rebukes Samuel. So there was some understanding that this baby was marked off by God. As someone that's going to do something great for the Lord. And they would do everything they could in their power to preserve this baby's life. So, they hid Moses for three months. The second thing is they were not afraid of the king's edict. Y'all see that? I'm not making this up. Do you see it in the text? Hebrews 11, verse 23. Well, someone would say to me, Pastor, if they're not afraid, then why did they hide him? We get questions like that sometimes. Well, I want you to know that wisdom and courage are not mutually exclusive virtues. Are they? A courageous thing in World War II would have been to hide Jews from being killed. But this doesn't mean that you're going to go out in your front yard and parade them around. Right? So, this does not mean that though they had courage, they didn't use wisdom. And they used wisdom but see this they did not fear the king you do know that if they would have been caught they would have paid the highest price for defiance against the king nobody would give up their child to save their own lives right you want to bet people will go to great lengths to save their own skin all you have to do is live in the United States the last two and a half years they were willing to risk their lives to save a life Moses. His parents acted by faith in the face of risk and danger. And they acted courageously because God lived in them. Because they feared the Lord. From that time they hid him for three months, placed him in a basket. And they acted upon the principle of faith. Folks, listen to this now. Here we have two ordinary people that are only mentioned twice in the Bible by name. Once in Exodus and a little later I think in Numbers. And here's two ordinary people who obeyed God and defied the king. They broke the law of the land because they believed that God's law was higher than man's. Ultimately, they stood God's way in God's promise and on God's truth. I want to remind you that there's a reason why Moses would walk by faith like he does. 
And I think his parents had something to do with this. You can't give it to him like a possession when you just hand it off. But make no mistake about it. You make a difference. God, the very God who ordains the end, also ordains the means to the end. You have something in this. His parents were people of incredible faith. And they lived in a time when the king had no understanding of history. Let that sink in for a moment. Opposed God and demanded for his subjects to do that which was pure evil. Right? Moses is preserved by great act of faith. His very life was dependent on the very faith that he lived from the very beginning. As a newborn baby he was saved by the faith of his parents. Folks, there's a reason why the writer of Hebrews picks up on this. Moses was born into the crucible of faith. It was the very atmosphere that Moses breathed. And it will be that very faith that that lives on in him. Folks, faith breeds courage. Faith compels us to take risks for the sake of love. Faith in God's promises frees us from the fear of death and makes us brave risk takers in love. And this is exactly what Moses' parents do. Therefore, the writer celebrates that kind of faith right here in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews. Now, as I consider the very, this very verse about Moses' parents... And the cultural climate that we are actually living in today. I cannot escape the analogy of the edict of Pharaoh to murder infants. And the law of our own land that allows the murder of our unborn. If you miss this, then your eyes are blind to the scripture. You can't miss this. Make no mistake about it. In 1973, the Supreme Court. You know what happened. Roe v. Wade. And since that time, the pro-abortion politicians and money-grubbing abortionist doctors are just as evil as Pharaoh when he killed the babies as a tyrant. Don't fool yourself. There's absolutely no difference. And we make a huge mistake when we think about a baby being cast into the Nile River. And yet we can look at our own land and say, oh, it's okay because it's a mother's choice. No, it's not okay. God hasn't changed. Listen, folks, I can almost promise you that we kill more babies in the United States of America in one month than Pharaoh's edict killed in its entirety. The world in which we live is just as evil as the world that Moses was born into. Just consider China's one-child policy that started in 1979. It started because of a war on the population, a war on growth, And the explosion. And since 1979, not only has there been countless abortions, but there's also been forced abortions. And imprisonment to those who would fail or refuse to get one. I want to remind you that what goes on in China today is just as evil, if not more, than what went on under the Pharaoh's edict. In our own country, eugenics movement is what started Planned Parenthood. You do understand that. A woman who truly was a white supremacist. A woman who said, what can we do to stop the African American growth? Are we that dumb to think that that's okay? Right? And that's how Planned Parenthood started. Folks, think of this for a moment. 
That's no different than what fueled and inspired Hitler. No different whatsoever. And it's also the same thing that fueled Pharaoh in that day. So, Planned Parenthood is just as evil as Pharaoh in Egypt. During a culture of death, Moses' parents in faith refused to succumb to a tyrant and his law, right? And without their defiance of this ethnic cleansing, cleansing, there would have been no Moses to bring about the exodus and no founder of Israel's national life. Just think about this for a moment. Now, I don't know how close we are to forced abortions, infanticide in our country, but I would argue that when a mother is coerced by a father, boyfriend, or husband, that's the same thing. All right, let's just be honest. So as people of faith, we have no option but to refuse to succumb to anti-life forces that are around us. No amens? This is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. This is a moral issue before a sovereign God. This issue transcends a political party and politics. The fact is we are a nation that wantonly killed our, our unborn children. And we've legally stamped the approval on it since 1973 to the song of 65 million abortions. 65 million babies killed. Let me go ahead and add it in there. Murdered. 65 million. I read this week where there is a California legislature's bill called AB... Two, 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 three. An OBGYN doctor stood up before the legislature and he said this. A close inspection of this bill does allow for the legalization of killing of innocent newborn children up to the age of 28 days. Can you just imagine a 28-day-old baby? And up to that point, you can just slaughter them. And that's literally what the bill says. Here's what he said. And yes... A yes vote is an unequivocal and complete approval of legalized killing of a newborn baby. And with all my heart, I oppose this bill and I urge you to vote no. Praise God for that doctor. So again, as the people of God, we can never be at home while such, feel at home while such evil exists around us. Again, 63 million Abortions since Roe v. Wade, decision of 1973. As the people of God, we must stand for truth and life just as Amram and Jacobit. Amen? All right, number two. The second thing that speaks to me is Moses' parents and their influence on their son by their faith. I don't think it's any accident that when you read down in verse 27, listen to what it says. By faith, Moses left Egypt. Not being afraid of the anger of the king. How did there start? Verse 23. Not being afraid of fear of the king. And all of a sudden in verse 27. You see that same principle lived out in Moses' life. Even as an infant. Moses was surrounded by the pure atmosphere of faith. Do y'all people believe in the providence of God? Well it's amazing. To see the providence of God at work in Moses' life. We haven't read the story beginning in chapter 2. But take your copy of God's word when you get home and read it. We have to marvel at it. God leads them to take this art-like structure. This basket overturned, uh, overlaid with pitch. They fetch Miriam. 
Moses' sister, to go down close to Pharaoh's daughter's bathing place. And they're banking their hope in the Lord God and that he will play upon the sympathetic strings of a woman's heart when she sees a baby. She pushes that little ark out in there. You know the story, don't you? Pharaoh's daughter goes down and she sees him and takes him up. That baby now has more protection than any other baby in the entire land of Egypt. God does this. God does this. She looks at it. I found it, right? She didn't have to go to an adoption agency. It was hers immediately. She adopted him on the spot. And then she thought, my goodness, this baby needs a nurse. Y'all know the story? And here is Miriam popping out behind the bushes. I've got a great idea. I know a Hebrew woman who can provide the services for you. Then Jochebed, the mother of Moses, actually gets paid to take care of her own baby. Is that not poetic justice? So here you have Pharaoh's daughter who is being, you're paying Moses' mother to raise up the very one who will topple Egypt. And it's Pharaoh's daughter who's doing it. Don't tell me God's not sovereign in his providential grace and care. Don't tell me one moment that God doesn't rule for his own will to be accomplished. And he's, he's, he's superintending these events so that his exact will will be accomplished. And so, don't you know that while she nursed Moses, which usually in this time frame meant up to around four years of age, do y'all think she taught him some things? In the beginning, God, Yahweh, created the heavens and the earth. Right? Moses, the gods of Egypt are a lie, and they don't exist. Moses, the God of our fathers, called Abraham out of the land to make us a great and mighty people. You have his blood coursing through your veins. Furthermore, Father Jacob had 12 sons, and one of those sons was Levi, and you belong to that tribe. Moses, God gave us precepts and instructions so that we can walk in his ways and know him. We know full well that Jochebed and Amram taught him not only by example, but by instruction that there's only one God, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and the rest of them are pretenders. They don't exist. Your ultimate loyalty, Moses, will not be to a pharaoh. It will not rest with the nation of Egypt. It will be to God, who's the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where your loyalty will be. A little later, he's sent off to the Egyptian schools, where he's going to learn the ways of Egypt. But there's no way even all of that education could undo what his parents instilled in that little boy's life. Bring on Babylon University. Bring on those things if our children are raised to understand what the faith is, right? So the question for all of us is this. What are we instilling in our children? How are we influencing our children? Folks, hear me clearly. Everybody looking? This is not some kind of formula that will safeguard your children from ever doing wrong. Boy, I wish it was, right? It's a matter of living out the faith before them so that they see that what you say matches the way you live. Right? Do you think Moses questioned growing up why there were hardly any other Hebrew boys his age? Y'all think he did to his mom, Pharaoh's daughter? Well, Pharaoh's daughter could say you were adopted. Moses could remember, yes, that's right. Miriam told me that. 
And my parents did not fear the king and did whatever it took to preserve my life. What actually does influence our children? Xbox? We could list out numerous things. We could list out sporting events and everything that we do for that. I want to remind you that we need to be careful about our technological society. It's exploding exponentially. And it's become a huge influence on our children's lives. We know it comes fast and furious. We need to be concerned about what they listen to, about what they see, what they look at. Why? Because, folks, it shapes their worldview. We don't want our children more influenced by pop groups and worldly athletes and corrupt world systems than what the faith of their mom and dad has to say. Amen? Let me conclude by telling you that faith acts. Did you know that faith does something? (laughs) By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All the way through. Once God took hold of them and they took hold of him, they didn't let go. And Enoch walked with God and he was not because God took him. You know, we see what's going on in the text of scripture. Faith does something. It actually influences those who are around. They acted by faith and they instilled in their little boy the same faith. It shook. That actually ended up shaking an entire nation and delivering another. Because of their act of faith. When Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives. He radically changes us. Are y'all listening? If he's Lord of your life. He radically changes us. And yes, he changes the way we think and the way we live. He changes us. We have a plague in the United States of America in our evangelical churches. It's called the plague of make-believers. What does that mean? Well, it is earthlings who think that they can go to heaven when they live on earth to please themselves and not God. make Believers. The message that came to Moses' parents was this. Hey, listen. If you're the people of God, you're called to live in a different way. That's the message that came to them. The message that comes to these struggling believers, right? It's written to people living in this time frame, probably around 50 A.D. And the message to those Hebrews is this. In the book of Hebrews, the faith in Je- that faith in Jesus Christ will make a difference in your life. It'll make a difference in the way you live. In case you haven't noticed, folks, we do not live in a Christian society anymore. The culture war is in full force. The mystery of lawlessness, as Paul calls it in 2 Thessalonians 2, is already at work. work. Look, Look, folks, the de facto worldview that people had 50 years ago is nowhere to be found in our world today. Did y'all know that? Did y'all know that Winona and Naomi Judd have more sense in their songs than most Americans. You ever listen to Grandpa? Tell me about the good... I'm not going to sing it. You've heard that song, right? Don't look at me so strange. Y'all don't even know who they are, do you? (laughs) But they say in there, take us back to the day when the line is clearly there. And it's not hazy what's right and what's wrong. They had way more sense than we do. But let me tell you, folks, this is not your grandpa's world anymore. I wish it was, but we got to think about something. To say that a society is immoral 
is one thing. That means that you know there's morality and to go against it is immoral. Folks, we're not even an immoral society anymore. We are an amoral society. There are no morals. You know it's true. You know it's true in our world. So, there are no moral struggles going on today like there was years ago. People don't even stop and consider something if, if something is right or wrong. We are so out of touch with God's standards. We've been so brainwashed that we don't even know what the moral issues are. People don't even wonder if it's right to kill a baby inside of a mother's womb. It's legal, and that's all that matters. So we're going to go for it. It's more difficult in our day, folks, to be a consistent Christian that actually wears your faith on your sleeves. Right? And you live by grace through faith. And you have Ephesians 2.10, the good works, to prove that. But I'm telling you, it's a whole lot more difficult than it was when our parents were first raising us. Especially if you're my age. Right? I'm no prophet, but I want to tell you something. I'll bet my bottom dollar that when my children are raising their children, and I've got four grandbabies now, so that's happening somewhat. I'm praying for more grandbabies once my kids get married. All right? But here's what I will tell you. It will be exponentially more difficult to live for Christ in the next generation than it is today. You know this. Will we live our lives by faith in Jesus Christ in a way that faith makes us courageous? Bold, risk-taking disciples like Moses' parents. Will we? Or will we be satisfied with just to get along and play along and play it safe? Incidentally, if you have the idea that you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you can just go along and play it safe, then you don't know what it's like to follow Jesus. To play it safe reflects very poorly on what you think of Christ. He told you that if you followed him, you'd have to pick up your cross and follow him. He told you that you'd have to disavow your own allegiance to self if you were going to follow him. He told you these things. God Almighty, would you give us the bold faith that defies tyrants and saves lives. Amen. We want to leave a mark on the kingdom of darkness. Will our children realize and see the difference that Jesus made in us? Or will we have a tame, cultured, enemy-friendly faith that offends no one, defies no one, and absolutely saves nothing? What kind of faith will we have? I know that that's not a guarantee that our children are going to live it out, right? But I'm telling you this, my children know from their father and mother that the only the life of faith, only the life of faith and what what is done for Christ will actually last. My kids know that. And I hope all, look, I, I believe that this is true with many of the children sitting under the sound of my voice right now, right? But are you going to live it? Your your parents have actually lived it. They've spoken it to you. And they've actually lived it. Now again, we can't pass this on like a possession from one child to another. We wish we could. God has to work in our lives. Yet, let's be honest. God works through means. He works through a godly example. He works through godly parents that are faithful. And my prayer is that God will raise up the next generation to be full of faith. Full of courage. I don't mean to offend anybody, but let's just be honest. Our generation is pretty soft and flabby. We have very few people who will stand up and take a stand. Difficulties will multiply for our children and for their children. 
So let's by faith influence and impact those who come after us. God have mercy on Christian parents who are living in a crooked, this is Paul's exact words, we live in a crooked and perverse generation. May he give us grace to instill the kind of faith in our children that says Jesus Christ is king. Furthermore, I join with Dustin Binge to tell us this. Go find a church that believes that Jesus Christ is king and we will bow to him and no other. And that's where this pastor stands. We will bow to our king, the Lord Jesus, and no other. To God be the glory. Father, we want to thank you. Hard text. Father, I know that under the sound of my voice, there could be a husband and wife. There could be a husband, a man. There could be a lady that has actually made the decision to abort their child. And Lord, I want them to hear that there's grace offered from Jesus. God can forgive. Repent and believe. God forgives. God may have already forgiven people in here from this particular act. But Lord God, that doesn't mean the preacher is supposed to be silent. We have to point out this evil in our world. We have to point out that the Lord God Almighty created life. We have to point out that we're made in the image of God. We have to point out to abort a baby is murder. We have to point this out. With all the exceptions and all the other clarifications people want to give, the truth of the matter is we are light years away from the God of eternity and what he thinks. Should we stop and think what you think, Lord God? Father, help us. Now for parents, God, help us. It's hard. We feel like running out of steam sometimes. We, we feel helpless. But Lord, remind us that the commendation of faith that you're going to reward is a faith that acts. Is one that continues on in this journey. We persevere through endurance because you've taken hold of us. Lord, like the disciples said to you at one occasion when you challenged them about what they were going to do. They said, where else can we go? We're going to stick with you, Lord Jesus, because you alone hold the truth and the words of life. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, may we be emboldened as parents and grandparents to speak the truth, to not shrink back, to not fear the edict of the king or the edict of the president of the United States or anybody else. But we're going to serve Jesus and obey him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Take my life and let it be <clears throat> consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet and let them be swift and beautiful for thee. 
church family to our newest church members all right after a sermon like that well <laughs> praise the Lord we'll still do it <laughs> amen so Debbie uh, Steve and Debbie Perkins and they've been coming for quite some time and they told my mom and mother-in-law that they were here to check out the preacher all right for a while amen uh, it is important to look at a church family and community life and for God to move their hearts to be a part of our church. So they'll be coming to join us by, this Steve and Debbie Perkins are coming to join us by transfer of letter from a sister Southern Baptist Church. So we welcome them. Amen? We welcome them to our church family. All right. I'll have you go back there where Don is and he'll let people greet you. Um, if you're a part of our visitation program, our outreach program, that's the second Sunday of the month. Uh, we're not forgetting about that, even though we don't have a mother's, we don't have a Sunday night service today like normal to meet over there. If you are part of that and you want an assignment for the coming week, meaning a guest to go see a prospect or uh, a shut-in on the uh, shut-in ministry, which we do all of this ministry care through that outreach, uh, you can go out of the commons and there'll be assignments on the coffee bar, Okay. If you'd like to grab one of those, take it this week, and you can take a picture of it and send it back to Don if you visit them, or you can bring it back in next week. Uh, just let you know that you can get you an assignment as you leave today. All right? Everybody good? Well, praise the Lord. God bless each one of you again. Uh, happy Mother's Day. To God be the glory. You know, isn't it weird, strange, that it's my personal opinion that motherhood is one of, if not the holiest calling for a woman. And here we have people protesting today that very thing of birthing children. On Mother's Day. That's, that's, that's where our society has come to. Okay, We need to pray for protection. We prayed that this morning for our own church because we, knew, we didn't know what might happen. But you know what? If it means death, we're, I'm, not about, I'm not coming off the truth. Whatever it takes, we must stand. Why? I want God's commendation. You remember reading it here in Hebrews? I want to be commended by him, not anyone else. To God be the glory. God bless you. Let's make this commitment once more. As for me and my house. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house. 
will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.